All right, it's time for Julio to move down the lineup, but who should replace him? We'll discuss that and more on today's mailbag episode of the Locked On Mariners podcast. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ahoy, sailors. It is Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. This is Tidding as Allison Colby Patnev for the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Subscribe, like, and turn on alerts if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform if you like what you hear. And if you're part of the crew and rock with us every single day, let us know in the comments below. And if you want to hear from us even more, please consider signing up for our Patreon by scanning the QR code that's right above my head. The link as well as our social accounts is also in the description of this episode. And this episode is is our weekly mailbag. We're going to be answering your Mariners questions. But before that, a reminder, you can catch tonight's game between the Mariners and the Rangers on the Mariners hometown broadcast with SiriusXM via the SXM app. First question here comes from Cody, who asks, do you think it's time to move Julio down the order for a bit? Maybe move Jared Kelnick or JP Crawford to the leadoff spot? Seems like Julio is in way too many key situations. And he's just not getting it done right now. Uh, you would be correct in that assessment. He is not getting it done right now. And that has been uh, very much put on display over the last couple of games, really, since he hit that home run uh, near the start of Sunday's game. It's been rough. It's been a rough watch. He struck out multiple times. He hit into a, an awful double play yesterday. And it really doesn't seem like he's necessarily like there's a mechanical issue or something like that. It's just he's making bad swing decisions. His whole plate approach right now uh, is is awful, truly. And that's being reflected in the numbers as well. Colby, he is, Julio Rodriguez is 13 for his last 76. It's really bad. That's a 171 average during that time. This is a problem. Um, and it's one that, is really hurting the team right now. Again, in some really key situations, you had an opportunity there with the bases loaded one out in last night's game to expand your lead. And instead he goes first pitch swinging and drives it right to Josh Young for an easy, easy, easy double play. So yeah, he needs to be moved down the lineup because he has not earned the right to get the most at bats out of anyone in this lineup. Do you agree with that statement? And if so, who do you think should take his spot for the time being? Because I think this is a, you know, this is a temporary thing. Once he starts turning around, you want him back in that leadoff spot. But in, you know, again, for the time being, while he's trying to figure it out, who do you think should take that role? And if you don't agree, um, why should we wait a little bit longer to see if Julio can figure it out? No, it's it's probably time. I guess the one reason you should probably wait if there was one is that there's not an overwhelming number of options that make more sense than Julio, even a struggling Julio. Um, but I think it's probably time because, you know, like you mentioned, moving a guy off of his primary spot in the lineup is not a, a permanent thing. It never has to be a permanent thing. It can be a one-game thing. It could be a hundred-game thing. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Uh, but in the meantime you have to protect the team in a way and you have to give your team the best shot to win games. Um, and you have to do that over the, the feelings of, you know, an individual player. Julio is not bigger than the Seattle Mariners, right? So it's just one of those things. It seems like he is. And maybe some people out there think he is, 
but he's not. He's one of 26 guys, and you have to do what's best for the other 25. Um, so Julio will get this figured out. I'm not worried about it long term. I'm I'm really not worried about Julio. He's still going to have a really good season this year. This is just bad. I mean, it's straight up bad. There's really no way around it. Julio himself would tell you that. He's kind of floating between different game plans, like almost seemingly between every pitch. Sometimes he's overly aggressive. Sometimes he's uh, way too uh, cautious and he's taking pitches down the pipe um, early in at bats. And then when the guy, when guys get on base, he's typically overly aggressive and he swings at the first pitch he sees and he's just a mess right now. So yeah, I think you do have to move him down. Um, again, there's not an overwhelming number of options right now. Uh, I think the easiest option would probably be JP Crawford. Uh, you put him in the, in the leadoff spot, um, assuming he's healthy, which we don't know. Scratch from yesterday's game after he fouled the ball off on Sunday, said he was going to be back today, but he said he was going to be back yesterday. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I think JP is probably your best bet. And then um, honestly, right now, I don't think there's any reason to have Julio inside the top four. Uh, it probably should go, assuming health, JP, Ty France, Cal Raleigh, Jared Kelnick, or you flip Raleigh and, and Kelnick. Um, probably hit Julio five, I think is probably the best spot. Maybe, maybe six behind Gino, even. Um, you just, you have to take some of the pressure off here and you have to, you have to go to work and, and you have to do what's best for your team. And right now, the guy who's most likely to get on base for you is JP Crawford. Um, right. and that's the most important thing. And you have, you know, Ty France hitting second and he has started to turn it around. He is on a nice little roll right now. Um, so I think those are your two best hitters at this moment. So they probably should be hitting one and two, um, and probably in that order. I don't think you want Ty leading off. Um, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but there are some limitations that a speed present that would be troubling in a leadoff spot. But yeah, I think it's JP, uh, would probably be your best bet. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it's probably France, Raleigh, Kelnick, Gino, Julio, uh, Pollock and Pollock slash Trammell, hmm. uh, Wong slash Caballero or Teoscar and then Wong slash Caballero, like something like that. So yeah, I, I think Julio should probably be hitting probably no higher than fourth, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I think JP is probably the right answer. Well, we got asked uh, about JP from Teddy here. JP is approaching 150 plate appearances. Teddy starts this message off with. Uh, he continues by saying, if he continues getting on base at this rate uh, that he has, uh, do you see Scott start putting him uh, first in the order, though he's been producing beautifully at the bottom of the order the last few weeks, so maybe that's more valuable. Um, J- JP's ability to get on base uh, would be incredibly valuable right now at the top of the Mariners order. Also, on top of that, he is producing with the bases loaded. It's four four ten RBI, you know, as opposed to what Julio's been doing with the bases loaded, which you saw last night. We we just talked about that. So um, JP is just coming through right now with uh, in in some big moments and with guys and and scoring position. And so keep that going. Go with the hot hand, right? Lineups can be fluid. Every single day, you can have a different lineup. There's nothing that's restricting you from not doing that. So just play the hot hand and go by committee, really. Like, you don't even have to necessarily have JP hit leadoff every single day. But right now, I think that is your best option until proven otherwise, right? So, yeah, go with JP. 
And I agree with you that Julio should probably be hitting somewhere in the middle of the order, in the middle third of the order, and at the back half of that as well, probably five or six. So, yeah. And, you know, to real quick address what you said about Ty France, though, like, I don't care about the speed element. I just want a good hitter hitting first in my lineup, guaranteed to have the most of bats in my lineup. In, in that situation with bases loaded, you know, in one out, I know Ty France has hit into a, a hell of a lot of double plays, you know, this season. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm totally not ignoring that fact. But right now, I feel a lot more confident in his ability to, to get the double so, there or get, get a single there than, than Julio. So the last five games carries more weight than the previous 15. Gotcha. Well, because of also because of also Ty France's <laughs> track record in general, combined, you know that I I believe that Ty France is closer to I, the hitter that he's been for most of his career rather sure. than those I, fifteen games. Yeah, to me that still is a better fit at number two than it is leadoff, because if JP Crawford to answer this question is going to get on base at this rate, he's at 38%, thirty eight percent thirty three seventy eight on base. Mm. Now look, do I think he's going to continue to do that all year? No, he's running an eighteen percent walk rate right now. That's that's really high. Doesn't mean I see a reason why it's going to immediately decline just from moving him up in the order. No. And I still want Ty France there to move, to drive in runs. And if I have Wong, uh, Wong or Caballero hitting nine and I have JP hitting first, then mm-hmm. I have more opportunities for Ty France to drive in runs. So sure. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm shaking up the bottom of the order, then I, I kind of, I still want guys in the middle and I still right now, even though I would hit like, Raleigh three or Kelnick three. They're kind of working through their own stuff right now. Kelnick still looks okay. He's still hitting the ball hard. He's just, you know, running in some outs here and he's stringing together, uh, you know, a couple bad games here and there, but he still looks pretty good. So maybe Kelnick is the answer at lead off, but honestly, I'm, I'm fine keeping Kelnick where he is. I like, there's a lot of, there are some creative ways America could go about this. And if they hit Ty France lead off, I, I really don't care all that much. Fine. Whatever. Um, the important part I think is you, you move JP up right now, you kind of ride the hot hand, but to me, if you're going to move JP up from seven, it's gotta be one or two. I'd only kidding him three, four five really makes a lot no, of sense. No, not at all. There's just no. not enough pop there. No, he should be hitting lead off. Like, again, I wasn't saying I wasn't advocating for Ty to hit lead off. I'm just saying if they did exactly what you were doing, if, if we got the lineup today though, and, and Ty was hitting one, I wouldn't have an issue with it because he runs like he's in wet cement. Sure. They are facing a lefty today, so that might change things as well. Um, Maybe. It might not be a bad day yeah. to get Jared Kelnick a day off. Yeah. We haven't seen AJ Pollock in a little while, so yeah. it'd be nice to see him. I uh, believe, is it two consecutive lefties next few days? Oh, they didn't announce have, a starter. Yeah, they, they didn't announce a starter, starter for yesterday's game right, or for right. tomorrow's game. Yeah. Yeah, it's Heaney tonight, and then we'll see about tomorrow. Is that the DeGrom spot? I think so. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So we got more questions coming up here in just a moment, but real quick, a reminder, this episode of Locked On Mariners is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And you can bet on everything from the Celtics and Sixers to the Nuggets and Suns. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash L O C K E D O N to learn more. Make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
and you're listening to the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you again for making us your first listen. And again, you can catch the Mariners and the Rangers on the Mariners hometown broadcast with Sirius XM via the SXM tonight if you're not able to watch or if you just prefer listening to the game. Sometimes I like doing that. So let's get back into these questions. This one comes from Nick. Do you think Scott's service is hindering the team's ability to grow by not holding players more accountable when effort slash play may dip? I assume that you're really asking about, like, why does Scott not bench anyone during games for, for mental mistakes? Because we don't know if he's holding guys accountable or not behind the scenes. None of us are in that clubhouse. So he very well may be doing that. He might be chewing guys out. I mean, that doesn't really seem like his character, but chewing guys out in his own Scott service dad way, you know, but we, we really don't know if he's, if he's doing that, if he's handling things in a more disciplinary fashion behind the scenes. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, part of his philosophy that, that he feels that that's the better approach to doing things, doing it privately mm-hmm. than some sort of public display of, you know, taking a guy out of the game in the first, second, third inning. We talked about this with the Eugenio Suarez situation when Colby said Suarez should have been benched for getting picked off by Corbin Burns in that Milwaukee game, which I assume you you stand by. But that's probably what what Scott's philosophy ultimately is, is just to handle things more privately, if if I had to guess. Because, frankly, if he wasn't doing at least some of that, holding guys accountable in some sort of way, he probably wouldn't have a job right now in Seattle. Yeah, you know, as frustrating as it can be sometimes with Scott. Um, I don't think I, I don't think Scott has tremendous feel for like in-game moments. Um, I think he is a great communicator. I think he is a great um adjudicator. I, I think he's a great uh he's a great team builder, which he's proven here in Seattle. And that includes his coaching staff. And when the analytics folks and his coaching staff come together and say, if we get into this situation, this is what we should do. I think he does it 100% of the time, which, you know, isn't wrong per se, but I think sometimes there's some feel uh, for your, you have to have a feel for your team. You have to have a feel for your guys and you have to understand that there are factors that just, they can't be, uh, they can't be explained that pop up in the middle of a game and you can't possibly have, um, you know, prepared for every single scenario. And I don't think Scott's got great feel for that. I think he kind of panics sometimes when, when the plan doesn't get followed or, he has to make a decision that might go against the plan. That's where I think Scott really fails. But when it comes to relationships, when it comes to building a clubhouse and all that stuff, you have to trust the guy. He's won 90 games in back-to-back years. He probably should have been manager of the year in back-to-back years. Um, Players love to play for him. So I think this is really more about his philosophy of, you know, you just, you, you praise publicly, you condemn privately. Um, And that's just kind of who Scott is. And, and, you know, it's probably unfair of, me and others to expect Scott to radically change who he's been for the last six years. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't mean it's not frustrating at times to see Scott it, because what it can look like is that Scott is just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever, not a big deal when, when they are big deals. Right. Um, but we don't know what happens behind closed doors and, and, uh, you know, Scott's done really good things with this club and including, you know, weathering the, the Kyle Seeger situation, uh, the Kendall Graveman situation, uh, obviously, you know, keeping the team together during a pandemic when there was real issues in that clubhouse uh, regarding certain policies and whatnot. So, 
uh, yeah, I, I think you just have to trust Scott when it comes to the, the team building aspect, but yeah, that doesn't mean he's a perfect manager. That doesn't mean he's without his warts. And like I said, I don't think he's great. I don't think he has great feel for situations. I think sometimes it's, it's a really stubborn, like, this is what we decided we're going to do. So we're going to do it no matter what. Sometimes there's just a feel thing that you have to have. And I don't think Scott's got that, but the other stuff he does really well, more than makes up for it. So yeah, I'm willing to live with some frustrating Scott nights because I know overall the payoff is significantly better than if you have some, you know, brilliant tactician who divides a clubhouse in half and allows that to fester. I'd rather have Scott's, uh, Scott's side of, uh, management than, the opposite essentially next question here comes from sage any updates on who you think is a good option for another arm to replace robbie ray this season is lance lynn still in the picture yeah lance lynn lucas giolito jack flaherty jordan montgomery you know just look at the teams that are currently struggling right and you you really need to look at teams like the white Sox, the cardinals because teams like the a's and the nationals don't really have anything to offer you on that front but if you're a Mariners fan who thinks that this team is going to add at the deadline and add to its rotation at the deadline, then you need to continue rooting for teams like the White Sox and the Cardinals to be bad because those are going to be your best opportunities to add a significant starter uh, to this uh, to this rotation this summer. So uh, I would look at those you know few names that I mentioned. Colby, do you have any others that you've uh, looked at? No, you know, just Alex Wood. Um, San Francisco is kind of an interesting team. Uh, I think right now you're more looking for teams that could fall off than specific players. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, Lynn would still be an option. And again, this is assuming a couple things, you know, a, that the Mariners are in fact buyers around deadline time, B that these other teams that we're talking about are in fact sellers at the deadline. And, and, you know, also what does the rotation look like? Is Marco and, you know, a four win is Marco a three and a half one guy is, is Bryce Miller a three and a half one guy. Well, maybe you don't need a Lance Lynn. Maybe you can go get a, you know, a more of a number five starter type um, right. and focus on the offense. So, yeah, I think right now names are still a little early. Uh, I think we're about probably five or six weeks away from really starting to hone in on names and in particular teams. I think by mid-May, by mid-June, sorry, most teams know in their heart of hearts. They really know if they're mm-hmm. buying or selling. There's going to be more buyers than ever, fewer sellers because there's more playoff spots up for grabs. But yeah, Lynn still makes sense. If the White Sox continue to struggle, Giolito, all those guys make a lot of sense. So yeah, just just you mm-hmm. know, monitor over the next few weeks teams that might go on winning streaks or losing streaks uh, and just be weary of that. And I think by mid-June, we'll have a pretty good idea of who is a seller, who's a buyer. Um, and that's when teams like Pittsburgh will know what Pittsburgh really is. We'll know what Baltimore really is, et cetera. So yeah right Right. and you know i think once we get to the summer if this team is in a position to buy it might need to make a decision on where to put most of its focus in terms of adding to this roster and adding impact to this roster because I, i think you might have to pick one or the other between pitching and position players to add actual legitimate impact because of the state of your farm look we're we're pretty high on where the farm is still even after all the graduations and plus they're going to be adding more talent to it through the draft this year in a massive way with those three essentially first round picks but that sentiment might not be shared around the rest of the league and so the interest level in your prospects and your assets might be a little down compared to some of the other contenders that you're going to be competing for these guys with so are you going to be in a position where 
adding to your rotation makes the most sense, even if you do have a clear um, spot to upgrade there. Or does it make more sense to go out and get like two really good bats to add to this lineup, which right now is near the bottom of the American League in almost every category, right? And who knows if that actually continues. There's still so much baseball to be played. So those are questions that we're going to have to answer weeks and weeks and weeks down the road because, again, we don't even know if this team is going to be buying. But um, I do wonder if it gets to a point where, yeah, there is a need in, in the rotation, but the need offensively is greater and you can really only pick one but we'll see maybe i'm wrong on that front all right more questions coming up here this one comes from chad does bryce miller's early success change the trade deadline for us if he strings together a couple more quality starts does our main priority switch back to acquiring a bat to start in the lineup so i mean that that kind of goes in line with what i was saying at the end there but colby let's get your thoughts on this yeah, um, I I think Miller's success is it's obviously something that could change how you approach the deadline. We've talked about this uh, yesterday on our Patreon show, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it does because it's only been two starts. So if he does string together. You know, I, I think he's probably going to have what fifteen starts between now and the deadline, maybe twelve something something in that range, give or take. Give or take, yeah. Yeah, if he's ten, you know, eleven, twelve starts, and he's looks like a number, a really good number four, number three pitcher, it might, it might, um, it might change the priority. Uh, because here's the deal: I while the Mariners can afford to do both, uh, it doesn't make it smart to do both it doesn't make it smart to go out and get a number three starter and go get the best the most expensive bat that's on the market because you're not looking at this as a one-year window thing you're looking at this as a multiple year window so would miller stringing together starts could that change the desire or the the primary focus at the deadline yes it, it could especially if marco is also pitching relatively well um, I still think they're going to want to add a starter, but the quality of starter that they are willing to go after is probably going to be dictated by how well Bryce Miller throws. So it's kind of a lot of pressure on Bryce uh, long term, but you know it, it is what it is. And, and right now, I think that if I had to make a choice and I, you could either prioritize offense or pitching, right now I'd probably still pick offense, but that could change really quick because there are a lot of guys in this lineup who we expect to produce who are not right now. And if they right. all start to, then you might look at it and say, I mean, we could use a platoon bat or we could use a bench bat or two, but like now we don't have to go get, you know, Ian Happ. Tim Anderson. Yeah. Like you don't have to go get the big bat. Now you just kind of need role players mm-hmm. and you can go get the number three starter instead. So kind of depends, but yes, there is a possibility that Miller throwing the ball well for the next month and a half will get the Mariners to kind of shift their focus back to adding bats at the deadline. Yeah, for me, it's going to be interesting to see if they ever have a question of, is this actually a need in the rotation or is it just a luxury to add another starter? Like, what is going to get you deeper into October? Because if you're going to have to pick one or the other, you you are going to have to ask yourself that. What is more important here? Am I comfortable with Bryce Miller starting games in the postseason or Marco Gonzalez starting games deep into the postseason? Or 
you know, am, am I fine? And then can I just transition most of my focus over to the offense? Right. So, um, that's going to be a debate that we're going to have to have a lot over the course of the next couple of months here on the show. If this team, you know, does get on a roll here, starts to turn, turn things around and does look like it's shaping up to be a buyer, uh, by the end of July, but again, a lot of baseball to be played. So until those questions really are answered, I, I just, I don't have a solid answer for you. Next question here comes from Josh. How much, if at all, does Jose Caballero becoming a usable bench piece impact Dylan Moore's role on the team if slash when he is healthy? And by the way, folks, we're dealing with a little bit of lag. So if you see a delay in responses or anything like that, that's that's why it keeps on giving us alerts over here. So, um, yeah, Dylan Moore, uh, if he gets back, how does the presence of Caballero kind of change that, Colby? Um, if at all, right? I don't think it does really. Okay. I, yeah. I think right now, Caballero is a guy who's going to be on this roster. Like, if Dylan Moore came back tomorrow, Sam Haggerty would be the guy they'd send down. They wouldn't even think twice about it, uh, because Caballero is actually producing. Um, so I think the role for uh, Dylan Moore is essentially maybe the one change is that maybe he's they're more open to playing him in the outfield a little bit more because if you remember coming into this year they were pretty dead set on like he's going to be a second baseman shortstop and occasionally third base he will not play in the outfield as much as he did last year so right. um, yeah I, I don't think it really changes all that much I, I think maybe what you see is you see more more games where JP Crawford's on the bench against a lefty uh, because they've, they've used Crawford a lot still. And, and that's one of the things we talked about by having Dylan Moore focus only on shortstop and second base by just being an infielder. You could give JP Crawford 20, 30 days off, which he needs because traditionally Crawford has really, uh, he's really faded as the season went on. He, he really isn't built to play 155 games. So uh, I think maybe that's where you could see uh, uh, you Caballero and Moore both, you know, helping your team, but yeah, I, I don't think that Dylan Moore's role is going to be changed all that much if he gets back 100% healthy, which honestly right now is a pretty big if. Again, I, I know I keep on saying this. I know it's a really boring answer, but there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. We don't know if Jose Caballero is going to be good by the time that Dylan Moore gets back, if Dylan Moore gets back, right? We, we don't know. I mean, so far it's been awesome to watch. He's a really fun watch right now, Jose Caballero. He seems to do something that, you know, once every single game that he plays in. Um, it's, he's just a, he's just a solid ball player, you know, but how far can he take that? Right. Cause we saw Sam Haggerty have a really good, you know, summer when they went on that win streak and everything. And then he started to tail off and now we're, you know, you see what Sam Haggerty looks like right now. Same thing could happen for Caballero, who again was a, a long time minor leaguer, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, didn't, it took him a while to get to the major league level. Um, and he just hasn't, you know, he doesn't really have any like outstanding tools, right? But he's a good, he's just a good solid ball player. I just don't know how long that's going to last because just what his profile is, right? Yeah, I, I have to say though, yesterday JP got scratched late. Mm-hmm. And the easy answer is well, with JP dealing with his knee and Wong not in the original lineup. Okay. Haggerty plays second base. Caballero plays shortstop. 
and they chose to go with a less than 100% Colton Wong yeah. instead of Haggerty. If that's the case, Sam Haggerty should not be on this roster because you've essentially turned Haggerty into Tommy LaStella. Mm. If you're not going to use him in this specific situation or you think you can't, then he shouldn't be on the roster because you went out there with a second baseman who was limited. And Wong actually had a pretty decent game. He didn't look you know, like he was suffering from any kind of injury and maybe got a couple new ones after being hit on the shin a couple times, but uh, you know, he was actually at good range at second, made a couple nice plays out there. So it didn't look like the wrist was bothering him, but still he wasn't in the original lineup. Then they had to make a change and they still wouldn't use Haggerty. Mm-hmm. They don't want to use Haggerty. He shouldn't be on this team period. Right. So I thought that yeah. was weird. Yeah, no, I, I did find that very weird as well. And it just seems like this team really just, it wants to operate with just 12 offensive players rather than 13, but they can't, but they have to have at least 13 because you can't have more than 13 yeah. pitchers on the roster. So I just, um, Oh, it lefty on the mound today. If Haggerty's not in the lineup. Yeah. Like just further evidence. They do not trust him to, to, they don't think he's a major leaguer. If Haggerty's yeah. not in the lineup today, after what we saw tomorrow, there's no chance you can convince me that they'd look at Sam Haggerty and be like, yep, he's a major league quality player. Even though we literally went with, you know, 75% Colton Wong over him the day after we said Wong was going to be out two or three days and we didn't have him in our yeah. original lineup for today. So again, you know, like Haggerty, Caballero does have the profile of a 4A guy, you know, so, and and even though he's been a lot of fun to watch, the last two weeks doesn't really change my mind about that, you know, so I'm still, you know, you, you still kind of have to be wary of, is he going to fall off at some point? Because there's nothing in that right. bat that's really, you know, overwhelming to suggest sure. that, that he's going to be able to sustain this kind of offensive production. Right. Um, Although, you know, Dylan Moore was also a four, a guy. It's true. So yeah. It, so it doesn't, like, you know, sometimes these guys pop and they, they carve out a role. Yeah. But yes. most of the time what happens is they come up, they have a good, you know, couple weeks or a month as they kind of, the league kind of adjusts to them and then they get overexposed and then yeah. you end up with a hole again. Yeah. So maybe so, that's not Caballero. Maybe he's one of the guys who beats the odds, but yeah. If you're playing the odds, that's what he is. Yeah, so that's a long-winded way of saying that uh, let's just pump the brakes on, like, Caballero as a part of the long-term plan here. What do you do once Dylan Moore gets back and all this stuff? Or what do you do at the deadline because of Caballero? None of that really matters right now. we got to see if he can sustain this over the next you know couple of months until we get to that point, really. And then we can have that discussion. But for now, let's just wait and see. Let's enjoy the ride with Jose Caballero because it's been a lot of fun to watch. But Let's let's pump the brakes just a little bit. All right, last question of the day. Very quick one from Max here. I'm wondering what websites you guys use to get instant metrics from games. Like what sources did you use to get Bryce Miller's spin rate numbers right after his start? Uh, baseball Savant. It's a, a major league baseball, like an official major league baseball website uh, that's powered by uh, Amazon, uh, Amazon Web Services. And uh, they have all the uh, tracking data from uh, the ball clubs being filtered into that website live uh, in real time. So every single pitch, every single batted ball, everything like that, all the data from that gets put into Baseball Savant like a minute or two after it happens on the field, if that. So, and that all gets collected on one game page uh, that you can you can look at. And uh, they also have individual play, uh, pages for players, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so check that out uh, if you 
haven't already, baseballsavant.com. It's a really handy tool that Colby and I use a lot on this show uh, for a lot of our discussions. Uh, I also use Fangraphs. Colby uses Baseball Reference a lot. Oh man, there goes the uh, <laughs> there goes the light. Uh, it's about That's time. Probably it, a wrap it up sign. It, it's about time that it finally happened during uh, during a show during a locked on episode. It's happened a couple times on our live stream, but never on locked on. So there it was. At least it didn't crash and everything turned off. All right. Yeah. Like you said, I think that's a pretty good sign with your lag issues and my set trying to fall apart and kill me uh, live live on this show. Uh, It's time for us to get the hell out of here. All right. That's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Lockdown Mariners podcast. For Colby Patnode, I'm Tidy Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, that's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at CPAT11, that's C-P-A-T-1-1. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok as well over at Lockdown Mariners. That's one word, Lockdown Mariners. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. And thank you again for making us your first listen. And another reminder here that you can catch tonight's Mariners Rangers game on the Mariners hometown broadcast with Sirius XM via the SXM app and you can catch us after the game tomorrow for a locked on Mariners post game show but for now have yourself a beautiful baseball day and we'll see you tomorrow peace